You guys having a good day so far? A good time of worship, focusing in on the Lord and bringing glory to His name. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. And it's good to have those who were down at General Council back with us this week. I'm, I'm glad to have you here. Now the Holy Spirit can move. So, man, in your absence, it was rough. <laughs> oh, man. And I saw Larry Kolsky as I walked in this at a, a general council this year, he was recognized with a tremendous honor, um, just national honor, where the entire, uh, uh, just the general presbytery comes down from the uh, general superintendent, recognized them, they flew them down to Orlando. Uh, he retired earlier this year, and, and just as he poured out in ministering on behalf of the Assemblies of God, there was that tremendous recognition. And so it's good to have you with us today and as you see them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I know he's not a big fan of the attention, but if you would, just, just as you see him, just say thank you for how he has ministered um, and how the Lord has used him in ministry. Because he does call each of us and, and puts us right where he needs us. And he has said that he has set the boundaries of our dwelling places in order that those around us might come to know him. And so he worked at that national office and they need to know him there. So that was a joke, okay? How many of you work there right now? Yep, no, I'd say that's accurate. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Terrible, terrible. Okay. No, really. I mean, the Lord has used him faithfully and uses um, uh, just, just doing tremendous things in the national. Uh, and, and I have heard just great things about the general council, which meets every two years. I just heard that the Lord moves so powerfully uh, there, and so we're thankful for that because God's moving nationally, not just here locally. He's moving nationally. And there are churches all across this nation which are reaching both locally, their communities, and also around the world. And that's what God has called us to. And so we're so thankful for our part in that. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Well, we are wrapping up our series called Watch and Pray today. And normally when I do wrap up a series, there's a little bit of a sadness there for me. Like as you're leaving behind a series, which is something that you've thought through, prayed through, sought the Lord through. Um, very clearly, the Lord spoke to me earlier. I mean, what with the passage of Scripture and um, where Jesus said, here's what the scribe of the kingdom will look like. The scribe of the kingdom is someone who will, from the treasure stored up, will take out, like a, like a master of the house, will take out of his own treasure stored up those things that are old and those things that are new. And so my prayer over myself with every series, with anything we do, is that it's not something that I'm just putting on for you all, but that it is out of what God has done in my own heart that I bring these things out and show the Word of God what God is doing in me. That's very clearly the pattern I see in Scripture and what I endeavor to do. And so with this series, Watch and Pray, we're coming to the end of it, and so there is some sadness there, but there's also a little bit different than that. This one's a little bit different of a series. Um, in that, I believe that this is so much more than just um, us talking briefly about prayer, but instead is a call from God to this church, to me and to this church, in order that we might become more and more a church of prayer, that God would speak in that way. 
And so I believe, and I mentioned last week, that the work of this series will not be happening on this stage, but instead will be happening in rooms with doors closed as I pray over this church and others whom I've asked to pray over this church, that God would move on this church in order that praise might more and more be known and be a church that prays. Because I believe the things that God has called us to do are impossible for us to do. And if he's called us to do the impossible, then he expects us to come to him and ask him to do those things that we cannot do. And so I hope that this isn't something that we're leaving behind, but instead that it's something that kind of launches us forward and moves us forward. Nair asked earlier this year that you would be constantly praying 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 18, over the heart of this church, over each of our hearts individually, those who are sitting on the row next to you, that God would move on our hearts, both calling us deeper and directing our hearts more and more towards him, that we might have more love for him, more care, more focus on the things of God, finding our satisfaction more and more in him, and that he would keep those things forever in our hearts. That's what I'm asking you to pray, and I hope you've been doing it. If you haven't, there's still five-ish months left, four and a half months left for you to be praying that over this church for the rest of the year. And so I hope that you would do that. And, and, And so this, to me, is really about the beginning. But even as we're wrapping up today, it's just, to me, the beginning. So be praying over this church. Be praying that God moves in our hearts, and he calls us to be a praying church, and that we hear that call by the power of his Holy Spirit at work within our hearts, okay? Will you do that with me? Awesome. Well, if those four people do it, then other people will start doing it, and this will be one of those snowballing things, okay? And so it'll keep growing. That's what I'm going to expect is going to be the case, and it's going to be so, so good. I will say that as part of this series, I mentioned multiple times that one of the things that you can tell that prayer is so important is by how much the enemy works against us and seeks to distract us. And so I've said that over and over again, and one of the things that's been great about this series is I've gotten some, uh, some people who've come to me and said, here's my experience in prayer. And more so than in the past, I've had great conversations specifically about prayer with people, and, and I'm thankful for that because I believe that's God already moving on our hearts. Um, but there was uh, someone who came to me this week, which I think nailed it, hit, hit the nail right on the head. Uh, this person came to me and she said, hey, Alan, so you know, you keep saying that the enemy works against us with distraction. So what I decided I wanted to do was just try to pay attention to that. I just thought, you know, I don't think I'm distracted in prayer. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start to pray, and then I'm going to pay attention to how many times I get distracted. And she said, I was shocked. She said, I was shocked because I realized that I was thinking more about prayer than I was actually praying. And I thought, Man, if that doesn't nail all of our experience, or at least my experience, many of us would say, that's right where we are, right? And then the rest of us are lying, okay? So, so like, that, that's to me it. Like, even this morning, let me just share with you my experience from this morning. I love to wake up early in the morning and spend my time in prayer. My favorite moment is that moment when I've stretched twice. My back has cracked twice. And I've gone to my chair and I've got my coffee, and I've started reading the passages of Scripture, and I know I have time that will not be focused on anything but the things of God. And then I begin to pray. And this morning, I noticed, as I was paying attention, that when I should have been praying for my family, 
I was thinking about this moment right here. I was thinking about what it was going to be like and me, because it's standing in front of hundreds of people and sharing the word of God can be an intimidating thing. And so in the morning, while I'm supposed to be praying for my family and I'm trying to focus in prayer for my family, I'm thinking about this moment. And then as I'm transitioning into praying for this moment, my mind is focused on and thinking about my family. Now, what in the world? Like, how is it? It's not like these thoughts are bad thoughts. It's not like the distractions are all bad things. In fact, this, this lady who came to me, she said, you know, really what it comes down to is I feel like Martha. I'm having good thoughts and, and things that should be good things that I'm thinking about and important things, but they're distracting me from the one thing that is essential. And I think that is it exactly. The moment I decide to pray, I turn into Martha. And that's why Jesus said, watch and pray. There are different kinds of prayer. There's prayers throughout the days that are kind of like firing off flares. Throughout the day, just praying continually. You come up against something, you pray. You move on. You continually are praying. But then there's a different kind of prayer, which is much more difficult, which takes focus and effort and being deliberate. It's the kind of prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the kind of prayer that he told his disciples to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the way he said it was watch and pray. Watch and pray. So all we've been doing as part of this series is looking at that word watch because it shows up a lot in Scripture. And what we've noticed is that there are different words that kind of hang out around that word. And to me, those things kind of speak to what Jesus is saying when he says watch and pray. When he says the word watch, that he's using those other words kind of in conjunction with it. And so uh, last week, I just started with a few different passages to just show you I'm not making this stuff up. This is the, the words that show up around it. And what we're seeing is that it means a heart awake. It means a heart awake to the glory of God means a mind sober, a mind that even as we sung just a moment ago, that it's a mind that is locked in, hoping fully in the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A mind sober, a heart awake. And today we're going to do the last one, which is cell phones off. Cell phones off. So if you have your cell phones this morning, if you don't mind turning them on, open them up to praise.fyi. And uh, once you get there, tap on message notes. You'll find all the verses we're going to be using today. Um, and along with that, you'll have an opportunity to thumb tap in some great notes. And I, I expect to see some great notes from everybody this morning. Okay, so, so take good notes from the message. We are going to be in Luke chapter 12. So if you haven't done it yet, grab your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there are some that are spread out throughout the seats. If you have one of the church Bibles, that'll be on page 871. 871, Luke chapter 12. We're going to be reading a story, and I want to just kind of set up for you again that these, this, I'm not making this stuff up. It's here, very closely tied to watching is a few words that keep showing up over and over and over again, phrases that keep showing up over and over again. And I just want us to see that today, okay? So we're going to start in this story that Jesus tells, which he tells like four to five different times with just slightly different details. Like he, 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 it's like a, a, a parable Jesus tells, and he, he, he tells it over and over again, but he just changes little bits in the story in order to kind of bring out different things. And anytime Jesus says something that many times, I want to pay attention to it. But it's in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. 
Here's what it says. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Luke 12, verse 35. It says, Stay dressed for action. Stay dressed for action. Now, if you were here last week, which I hope you were, and if you didn't, you go back and listen to it. But this phrase is almost the exact phrase that we find in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Okay? Same thing. Gird up your loins, is what he's saying. Grab the back hem, and I'm not going to show you what it looks like because it was awkward enough last week. Grab the back hem of your dress, pull it up, and stick it in your belt and turn your dress into shorts. Be prepared. But here he doesn't say be prepared in your mind. He's just saying be constantly prepared. Always be prepared. Always keep your loins girded, prepared. And for us, when we read that, like, I don't know that we get what they would have gotten. Like, we don't have the context. And that's part of the reason why they translate it as stay dressed for action. Because when we hear that, we're just like, I don't know what that means. It's weird. And, and we don't have the context. But for the Jewish people who Jesus said it to, boy, they would have immediately started thinking back to the Old Testament where that same phrase was used over and over and over again. Have your loins girded up. And, and let me give you a few of what those were. In Job, God spoke to Job, and he said, Job, I'm about to speak to you, and so you need to gird up your loins. Prepare for me to speak to you. And he says that to him twice. In Jeremiah, he speaks to Jeremiah, and he says, you need to gird up your loins because I am going to use you. So be prepared. I'm going to use you. And then there's another time that it's used. And this is one that I think they would have, without a shadow of a doubt, immediately had in their mind the moment Jesus said, keep your loins girded up. Stay dressed for action. I think that they would have immediately called back to this verse because this was something that they recognized every single year. They celebrated it every single year. And I want to turn there, so stick your finger there in Luke chapter 12 and then flip all the way to the left to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, in my Bible, it's on page 54, or 54, so flip all the way that way. In Exodus chapter 12, of course, the Israelite people are in Egypt, and God has already been moving, but he says to them, you've been crying out, and the time has come. I'm about to deliver you. I'm about to bring you out of Egypt. And so in Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, he says, now the time has come. You've been crying out. I'm about to move. And he says to them, Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, talking about them eating the Passover meal, because this is Passover, which means not just that they should do it once, but that this is the way that they should celebrate it in order to remember that God moved on their behalf. Okay? So Exodus, and they would have done this every year. Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, in this manner you shall eat it with your belt Fastened is what it says in the ESV. In the Hebrew, with your loins girded. So I'm about to move. And so you need to make sure that your dress is more like shorts because you're about to have to move with me. When I move, you will move. Okay? 
He says, not just your loins girded, not just your belt fastened, but have sandals on your feet. Have your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. He says, I'm about to move, and when I move, you better be ready. You better be prepared, because when I move, you move. So flip back over to Luke chapter 12, because when Jesus is speaking to the Jewish people, I guarantee you that at least that would have been in their minds, and maybe Job, and maybe Jeremiah as well. So for us, it just says, stay dressed for action. Then he says, and keep your lamps Burning. This is another phrase that shows up over and over right around the idea of watching. Keep your lamps burning. And in Revelation, it seems to indicate keep the word of God alive in your heart. Keep, keep the fire in your heart burning as a result of the gospel truth. So again, what do we have here? In two phrases, we have, first off, um, have your heart awake. Second, have your mind sober. I mean, you've got both of these right together. And he says, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. So he says, You need to be prepared like somebody who's waiting for a master to come home. And you keep watching. And when he comes, you be ready with the door and you open it immediately so that he can come in. And if you do that sort of thing, look at this promise. Isn't that a bit of a ridiculous promise? If you do your job, if you do what's expected of you, here's the promise. When the master comes... He's going to have you recline at the table, and he's actually going to serve you. So he will do your job, and you'll enjoy it. Like, isn't that promise, like, ridiculously over the top? What master would do this? But isn't that the way the promises of God work? Aren't all of the promises of God ridiculously over the top to those who are faithful? Right? To those who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's ridiculous the promises that are made to us. And yet they are all yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And that's the promise here. He says, listen, if you are, 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 if you're ready, if you open the door, he will actually serve you and you'll get to recline. And then he continues on. And if he comes in the second watch, or in the third, if he comes at midnight, if he comes at 3 a.m., And finds them awake. Blessed are those servants. Verse 39. But know this. That if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming. He would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like if there was a thief who was going to be coming to your house, if they called you ahead of time and let you know, 
Like, I don't know where I make that suggestion, but as soon as you find that suggestion box, let me know, because, like, that would be awesome. Like, fill out this form in triplicate. Let me know what time you're going to be there. Give me your name, your address, your social security number, and do you want to be dropped off by the ambulance at Cox South or Mercy Hospital? You give me all that information ahead of time so that I know right what time you're going to be there. That would be awesome, right? Except that's not the way it works. The thief doesn't call you ahead of time to let you know what time he's going to steal your car, what time he's going to show up at your house. That doesn't happen. That would be ridiculous, is what he's saying. That's not the way it works. Instead, he shows up when you don't expect him to be there. And he says, in the same way, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, I think when we read this, we're supposed to think of the second coming. Right? It's what we talked about. Our hope set fully in the grace that will be revealed or brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? That's, that's looking forward to Jesus Christ coming. We've sung about that. But what do you think those who were there that day thought Jesus meant? Be ready because the Son of Man is coming on a day when you don't expect him. They're thinking about the first coming of the Son of Man. In fact, if you look at it and you keep reading, you go down a little bit. In verse 54, he starts talking about, listen, you can interpret the sky, but you cannot understand the fact that I'm here right now. So he's standing before them saying, I'm here now, and you are not prepared And ultimately, what you see in this passage is the fact that preparation is hugely important. Preparing to pray is vital in order to focus and watch in prayer. When he talks about watching, preparation here is all that he's talking about. Be prepared, be prepared, be prepared, he says. I don't know what you look like or what it looks like for you to prepare to pray. For me, I need to prepare. I have to. Because if I do not prepare in prayer or to pray, then what will happen is immediately, as soon as I start to pray, my mind is elsewhere. Right? So there's some things that I do in preparation for prayer. And I, I, I say this with, like, some trepidation because I think sometimes we... We can skip to the, the, the details of how to do it and miss the heart behind it. And, and so when I say this, I, I really want to make sure that you don't jump to this. If you missed the last couple of weeks and where we started, if you don't begin with the heart, what, here's what will happen. We'll get in a little dance, you and I. It'll be like a tailspin eventually. But what will happen is Alan will get up and say, hey, listen, we've got to do better at prayer. And you'll say, you know what? You're right, Alan. I need to do better at prayer. And you'll go home and you'll pray the best, most impressive, most, the longest prayer, the most elegant prayer you've ever prayed over lunch. It'll be beautiful. Like, at the end of it, the ham will be kosher. You'll pray like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane over the broccoli. By the time you get to the green beans, it'll be an altar call using the green beans as an illustration. 
You'll open your eyes after your prayer. The kids are either slain in the spirit or asleep. You won't even know. But it'll be that kind of prayer. You'll be so fired up. Man, Alan said I need to pray. Then Monday will roll around. And on Monday, boy, you, you want to pray. You'll get up early and you'll pray and you'll start and you'll be intentional about it and you'll be deliberate and you'll prepare and you'll do the work and you'll pray. You'll get distracted a little bit and you'll bring it back and you'll pray some more. And then Tuesday will roll around and you'll wake up and you'll say, oh, I need to pray and it'll be a quick prayer. Wednesday will roll around you'll totally have forgotten about it. If you pray because I guilted you into it, or because I got you to change your behavior, that is the wrong approach to prayer. Because by Thursday, you'll be completely, and then next Sunday, what will happen is you'll come back to church and be like, oh, I was talking about prayer. Right before I step up, you'll be like, prayer, 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 prayer. And then you'll feel guilty, and you'll start the whole cycle again, and it turns into a tailspin of condemnation and guilt. And that's not what this is about. This is about God moving on our hearts supernaturally and calling us to prayer. And if he does that, and if you call your heart awake and your mind is sober, then prepare and pray. Allow God to do that on your heart and then step into it. And so I want to give you what works for me. This may not work for you and that's okay. Whatever works for you, take the steps, but do what it takes in order to focus in prayer. For me, the first thing is this. I'm a morning person. I can't understand people who are like totally good with being up after 8.30 p.m. (laughs) You think I'm joking? Ask my wife. Like, you give me, 8.30 is right about that time where I'm ready to just check out. If I'm up till 10, that means something went terribly wrong, okay? But some people are like up until 2 in the morning, and they're good with that. Awesome. Praise God. Bless you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Use that. For me, I can't, but I love being up early in the morning before anybody else wakes up. But when I go to prayer, it's in the morning. And I, the part of what I love is that nobody can text me that early because they're all still sleeping. And yet, somehow, it always happens. And, and I'll even get emails to my phone where, and it took me like six months to figure out, that's not even a person. That's a system at Praise Assembly giving me an update on something every single morning at that time. And yet every single morning my phone goes, bloop, 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 bloop. Oh man, somebody's in the hospital. Every morning it got me. And so I realized, here's what I need to do. Do not disturb. That do not disturb button is my favorite. I turn my cell phone off with that do not disturb button. Set it aside. But then I realized something else. I don't have just one cell phone. I have multiple cell phones. Because I hit that do not disturb button and my iPad, doop, boop, doop, boop. Like betrayed. Thanks a lot, Steve Jobs. All right, so do not disturb. And I leave my iPad completely on do not disturb at this point. I don't need notifications on multiple devices. And then my MacBook. All the same notifications. I get on my phone, I also get on my MacBook. And I'm like, what in the world? And so I mute that. And then my watch. Are you kidding me? Who needs to get notifications on their wrist? 
that is a problem, okay? So legitimately, I loved my Apple Watch for like a year and a half. For me personally, that was a problem. I don't need to know what you're texting me on my wrist. If I want to see it, I'll pull it out of my pocket and look at my phone. So at this point, I only use my Apple Watch as an alarm system. I put it on at night, and because it, it's really cool. It taps on your wrist when you want to wake up in the morning. So that, that's, that's kind of my alarm. But that's it. Other than that, I refuse to wear it. I have to turn all my cell phones off, right? And if I do not do that, there will be distractions, period. So whatever that looks like for you, whatever your cell phones are, whatever kind of notifications you're getting on a regular basis, turn it all off. Do not disturb. Turn it off, whatever it takes, in order for you to focus. And for me, if I don't do that, I will not be able to focus in prayer. It takes preparation. So that's the first thing. These are just what works for me. It may not work for you, whatever it takes, okay? The second thing is this, and this, this is what works for me. I have to have written prayers, if I do not write down prayer requests, I will lose them. As much as I love somebody and want to pray for them, if I don't have it written down, I will lose it, and it'll be gone. And for me, some people love prayer lists. I'm not a fan of prayer lists. I mentioned this on a Wednesday night. For me, it doesn't work. If, if you give me a prayer list with a bunch of, li- like about halfway through, I start getting distracted. So what I do is cards. And I love this. This works for me. For you, it might be as well. Three by five cards. And I write one person's name on every single card. And what's great about that is that whereas with a prayer list, I'd be sitting there staring at the same sheet. Every time I'm done praying for a person, I flip that card around and I go to the next card and pray over the next person. It gives me variation. For you, that may not work. You might, if you gave a bunch of cards, you might turn them into like paper airplanes and start throwing them around. If you were to write down prayer list, maybe you'd start like doodling and drawing pictures of the people you're praying. And I don't know what works for you, but this is what works for me. For me, written down on a card, hugely important. And the reason why that's so good is that when I see the answer to that prayer, I can write that down too. And that's huge for me. That's huge for me. That's what works for me. Third thing, I like to pray the scriptures. And not just like to, I need to. Helps me to focus. It helps me not only to focus, but what I do is every prayer request, and nearly every prayer request, I'd say somewhere around 95% of the prayer requests that I am praying over people, I tie together with a verse. And I pray that verse over them. It helps me to know, number one, that what I'm praying is um, in response to what God has called me to pray. And, and number, well, there's other things too. It, it help, again, helps keep me focused. And, and finally, Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 11 says very clearly that God watches over his word to perform it. Okay? The same word that we're talking about watching and praying is used there to say that God is watching over his word. The same activity. He is watching over his word to perform it. I want to tie into that. And so as I pray, for me, this is what it looks like. I want to pray the scriptures. And so I tie with every prayer request, or at least most, almost all of the prayer requests, I tie together with some sort of verse that I can pray over them, and it gives um, some real continuity for me in that. The, the, The other thing that's really nice about that is Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest, considered one of the greatest preachers of all time, said, he was talking to some preachers, and he said, listen, if you get lost in the middle of a sermon... Here's what you do. Go back to the gospel. If you get lost, 
just start talking about Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because that's a good place to default to. And I would say the same thing for your prayers. If your mind goes sideways, bring it back to Jesus Christ and the cross. Say, oh Jesus, thank you for your cross. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for what you have done for me and for this person. The greatest work is the work of salvation in our heart. Bring it right back. Bring it right back. Bring it right back. This is what works for me. Final thing I would say is just this, is just ask God for focus. If you're praying anyways, <laughs> begin by saying, oh God, I need your help with focusing today. This is so important that I be praying, and I know the enemy's going to be working against me, and I know this is a spiritual battle. And so I just ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would lead me during this time and help me to focus in prayer. Listen, here's why this is important. Because if you're not paying attention to your prayers, can you really expect God to? So zero in, focus, do whatever it takes. This is what works for me. It may not work for you. But whatever works for you, do what it takes to prepare to pray. Okay? That's what I see in this passage is Jesus is saying prepare is a part of watching. I want to read you another passage. Um, Matthew chapter 25, and this will be the last passage here today. Um, this story is one I actually read at a, at a wedding yesterday for uh, Johnny Holderby and Ashley Ellingsworth, and I can double dip. I can use the same passage for both. It's, it's great. Um, this is a great passage for weddings, um, and every time I do a wedding, I kind of come back to this passage, and it reminds me of my own heart. This is actually the very first sermon I preached when I became the pastor was from this passage. I love this passage. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 1, same kind of feel that Jesus is giving here for watching. Here he, he compares it to some bridesmaids. It's called virgins in the ESV. Young ladies is what that is. Then the kingdom of heaven, he says, will be like ten virgins who took their lamps. Again, that idea of keeping their lamps burning. Ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Verse 6. But at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The thing about watching is that it is not just preparing as if you just do it one time. There's no focus hacks that I can give you. This will always be a battle because the enemy will always be working against prayer. And so I've got no like, do this, boom, check mark, knock it off the list, and you're done. 
But instead, what I would say is it's always going to be a battle. It's always going to be a fight. It's always going to be a struggle. But it's worth it. And here in this passage, when I read this passage, I used to read it, and I'd read through it so quickly that I guess I never stopped and paid attention to what the difference was between the wise and the foolish. Like the first time you read through it, you hear several things and you go so quickly that you think, okay, so the wise stayed awake and the foolish fell asleep. But that's not it. They all fell asleep. And you think, well, maybe the wise went out to meet the bridegroom and the foolish stayed in. No, they all went out to meet the bridegroom. There is only one difference between the two of them. And the difference is that when they were coming out, if you go down back to verse 3, go back to verse 3. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. So the foolish, when they came running out, we got to meet the bridegroom. They didn't bring any, enough oil to wait long enough. And the wise, when they're running out the door, they stop and they go, well, wait a second, what if he's delayed? And while the five kept on running, the other five went back in and got some more oil so that they could be prepared, not just at the beginning, but that they could be prepared all the way through. And when Jesus talks about watching, I definitely think he's talking about prepare to pray. Like there's preparation just to pray, to get your heart in the right place, that your heart is awake and your mind is sober, that all of that's happening just as you're going into prayer. But I also think that there's something else happening when he talks about watching and praying. I think it's not just preparing to pray, but it is preparing for when God responds to your prayer. Right? Because a lot of times I think when we go through the prayer list, we throw them all up into heaven, and then we're like, okay, he's not going to do anything. But what I see in Scripture is that when he says prepare yourself, he's saying prepare yourself because God's going to move. And when he moves, he wants you to move too. And so there's this preparation of watching, and as you pray, you are watching to see God respond to that prayer. Because at least in my instance, what I have seen over and over and over again in prayer is this, that God, when I begin to pray for something specific to happen, that he often will invite me into that prayer request. Let me give you an example. I've been praying one thing over my daughter for a long time. There's something that's beyond me to do. There's something that I want to see God do in her heart, and I used to think that it was just up to me to discipline her to that point. (laughs) And that was frustrating for her, and it was frustrating for me. What it ended up looking like was sharp comments from the father, from me, from dad, Anytime there would be this thing that's happening that reflects something that's a deeper issue in the heart, I would go with these sharp comments and and it would just undercut her. And I, I sensed the Holy Spirit saying to me, this is not just a behavioral issue. This is a heart issue and you need to take it to me in prayer. And so I did. And what I noticed is this. The very first thing that happened 
was God worked in my heart. The very first thing that happened was that I changed the way I interacted with my daughter. That no longer did I have those sharp, cutting comments to try to fix this thing. Because I knew that it was a heart issue that was beyond me. And because I wrestled with prayer and wrestled in prayer, that meant I could rest as her parent. So because I wrestled, I could rest. And it changed everything. And I can still to this day remember the look on her face the first time I saw God doing it. I can remember looking at her and her eyes as she realized something that I could never teach her. And she got it at a heart level. And I got to participate with that. Because God was doing something in her heart. I got to come right alongside of her and I got to speak into that. God moved and then he invited me in as her father, not just in prayer, but in leading her through this realization. That's the way it works. We pray and often God will invite us in. And when I see watch and pray, I think definitely we need to prepare to pray. Don't get me wrong. I'm 100% convinced of that. But I also think that a part of it is making sure our heart is right so that when God moves, sometimes he'll say to us, I'm going to speak. Be prepared. And sometimes he's going to say, I'm going to use you. Be prepared. And sometimes he's going to say, I'm going to move, and when I do, you be prepared because you move too. And sometimes he'll say, this one's on me. Relax. Rest. Recline. Because I got this one. But regardless, we prepare for him to move. Ultimately, here's the thing about prayer. It is not a cell phone issue. It is not a schedule issue. It is a heart issue. If we are prayerless, that is a heart issue. Okay? So you can't start with all just the preparing stuff. You've got to start with, oh God, move on my heart in such a way that my heart is awake. My mind is sober, and I am prepared to pray. George Mueller is considered one of the, I don't know, I guess you could call him a prolific prayer. He's known for many things. One of the ministries that he led and the one he's most well-known for is orphanages that he used to lead. And um, he had a specific way that he would approach that ministry, he decided he would never bring out his needs for his donors. So he wouldn't send out donor letters. And he wouldn't send out telegrams saying, hey, I have this specific need. Instead, he said he would specifically pray over them. And then only after God moved 
At the end of the year, when he was giving the report to all of his donors and those who were supporters, he would say, here's what the needs were this last year, and here's how God met each and every one of those needs in response to prayer. So, specifically in order to do that, he started keeping record of them. And for 60 years, he had a journal, that written prayer thing, where he would write down every request and the response, the way God moved in response to it. Over a period of 60 years, there were 50,000 prayer requests that he saw answered. Of those 30,000, he said, were answered in an hour or a day. 30,000 over 60 years. That's 500 average per year, which is more than one per day. He was seeing responses, and he has them all recorded. You can read them. 30,000. You know what he said? He said, I struggled in prayer. I struggled. It was a battle. He was like me. He preferred to pray first thing in the morning. He said, man, every morning I'd wake up and I wanted to pray, and it was a struggle, and I had to fight for it. And he said, and then there was something that I did. And actually, he said it was something that God did. He said, I started by reading the Word of God. And in that, God called my heart awake. And then I focused in on his promises to me, made my mind sober. And he said, that changed everything. So allow the Holy Spirit to call your heart awake. Begin by peeling back the reality and seeing God's glory for who he is. And then with your mind, Grab hold of that hem, grab all those loose thoughts, pull it tight, and focus in on the hope and hoping fully in the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then prepare. Prepare to pray, and then prepare for when God responds to your prayer. That's what it looks like to watch and pray. To watch and pray. In Acts chapter 17, verse 25, it says that God <laughs> it says that God gives us every breath and everything we need. <laughs> he gives us everything. So I guess I wonder if he determines whether or not you breathe one more time. Do you think that it would be important to talk to that person? the one who determines whether or not you will have one more breath. This is the most vital thing. The most vital thing. And yet, so many times, the enemy keeps us from doing that one thing which is essential. Because we get distracted with many things and many anxieties when ultimately those were things that we're supposed to drive us into our relationship with Jesus Christ. So may we be church that prays. But ultimately, I can't convince us. The Holy Spirit can lead us and call us. And I hope with everything inside of us, we do that. Because I believe God has called us to the impossible. And apart from prayer, it will not happen either we'll fail or we'll pray. One or the other. Those are the two options. Either we'll pray or we'll fail. 
And ultimately, that works as a parent, and as a husband, and as a pastor, and as a leader. Either I will pray, or I will fail. Period. End. Stop. I mean, like, it's done. That's it. Those are the two options. And so, I, I, man, my prayer has been just that the Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of our hearts and call us to pray. Because God is in the business of the impossible. And I was thinking about this even this morning. When Jesus spoke to his disciples, he told them that it's difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I said, who can be saved? And he said, with man it is impossible. But with God, the impossible is possible. He's the only one who can do it. And isn't that the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That we cannot do this on our own. We cannot do it. And if we begin in grace, let us continue in grace. He will work in us to bring this about. And if you're in here right now and you've not heard the message that it's not about acting good, it's not about performing good, it's not about doing the things that keep us from getting disciplined, but it is failing on our own apart from Jesus Christ, knowing that we can never reach the standard that is set. And yet Jesus Christ died for our sins that we might have salvation. And that's the free offer of God to each and every one of us. We cannot do it on our own, but in Jesus Christ, we can be saved. So this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And this morning, if you're in here and you've never responded to that call, the call goes out again. It's not about you being good. It's about the fact that you can never be good enough. And yet Jesus Christ died in order that you might have forgiveness. It's not about what your parents do. It's about what each and every one of us does. So this morning, we have an opportunity to respond to that. And I want to pray. And as I do, I'm going to give you an opportunity to put your faith and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord of your life. And as you do those things, you can be saved this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have provided a path for us in Jesus Christ. And that none of us is good enough on our own. And if we try, we fail. Ultimately, none of us can come to you apart from Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us. And so this morning we come in the name of Jesus Christ. And I do begin just by, uh, in my own heart, putting my faith afresh and anew, believing that God raised Jesus from the dead, that you raised him from the dead, that, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead can be at work within me and calling my heart alive again. And I can be made a new creation in Christ Jesus. I pray for every person in this room. That if they're in here and they've never put their faith in that, believing that that happened, oh God, speak to them and call them right now that their faith in their heart might be real and that they might put their faith in that. And God, I pray and I confess you as Lord of my life. I speak it out. You are Lord. You get it all. It's all yours. My heart, my mind, all of it. My actions, my hands, everything are yours, oh God. You are Lord of my life. God, I know that as we do that, we can be saved. And all of our hope, we are hoping fully in Jesus Christ this morning. 
Father, I also pray over this church. You have called us as parents and grandparents and husbands and wives and siblings to participate in the work of God and do things that are beyond us. So God, call us and speak to us by your Holy Spirit in our hearts, drawing us to become a church of prayer. And I am convinced that as we do that, the impossible will be possible because it's your power at work. And that we will see siblings saved. We will see children and grandchildren come to the Lord. We will see parents come to the Lord. We know that we will see those around us come to you and put their faith in Jesus Christ. But that will happen by your power in response to prayer. And so God, call us to be a praying church. And sometimes you'll say, prepare yourself, I'm going to speak to you. And sometimes you'll say, prepare yourself because I'm going to use you. And sometimes you'll say, I'm about to move, be prepared to move too. And sometimes you'll say, I got this one. Regardless of how it is, we'll be ready for you to answer the prayers. We'll prepare ourselves and we won't miss God in our midst. We'll see you moving. So God, may that be the case, I pray, in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Call us to be a church that watches and prays. May we watch and pray, I ask, in the precious and holy name of Jesus. And I thank you for it. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. May God call you to pray. May you sense this Holy Spirit calling you to pray. This morning, this week, this month, this year, for the rest of your life, may you be a person who prays. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you need prayer for anything, as I dismiss in just a moment, as others head out those doors, I'm going to invite you to just come down to the front. This prayer team are people who know how to pray, and they've committed to pray for you not just today, but throughout this whole week. And so this morning, if you need prayer for anything, feel free to come as others go. If you're in here and you accepted Jesus Christ, receive that salvation for the very first time. Put your faith in him and confess him as Lord of your life. Don't head out. Instead, would you just head down to the front and chat with them? They'd love to pray with you and talk with you about what that looks like in order they might help you through that, that process. God bless you today. Have a great rest of your week. Make sure to be back.